Hello everyone, welcome to a four-week sermon series called A New Church Paradigm. And I've been given the challenge today with week one, which is actually called A Time for Change, Raising Our Dissatisfaction. So I've got to share with you, I'm nervous. The non-pastor, the businessman's been given the task to preach, to produce a sermon on raising our dissatisfaction in the churches. That leads to probably a bit of a spanner. I've struggled preparing this sermon. I've never put more hours, weeks into it. And I've probably got more today of a story about a sermon than a sermon, um, which I think may even fit it, uh, introducing the, the sermon series, but also my journey around um, dissatisfaction or raising dissatisfaction. All good stories start with um, Once Upon a Time. This story starts with Once Upon a Time, there was a pretty nasty virus. COVID virus, which was not too nasty, that it killed people quickly, but it was also not that safe that it could actually be spread by people without, without any um, symptoms. This virus has just closed down countries. It has, it has had a, the biggest impact on humanity for what we've known for over 100 years. It has closed down countries and it's closed down churches. It's been a challenging time for everyone, um, including our denominations, including our pastors, including our churches, but of course, absolutely the communities in which we live. This challenging time may have had a silver lining. Um, as our churches were under, trying to understand what it meant to be a church during COVID, there might have been a silver lining of an opportunity to change. Um, this was the biggest disruption we've had in our community in my lifetime. Um, and what could we use with this disruption? <clears throat> Before we talk about that disruption, let's just even talk about change. Do our churches need to change? In a normal life cycle of any organisation, change is just important. Organisations, including churches, they, they're created, they reach a peak, and quite often the normal life cycle will lead to their death. The number one thing that's going to stop you from dying is change along the way. And it is so challenging for our churches to do it. But healthy life cycles ask questions about what we're doing, how we're doing it, and do we need to change? And the answer is yes. It's actually essential to change because if you don't change, there's probably nothing more certain than you're going to die. And we don't want our churches to die. It's actually most important that don't because I believe churches, as others do, are the most important organisations in the world. I believe the Bride of Christ, the local church, is God's plan A. Plan A for his plan of what he wants of us in this world, in this um, thinking into heaven. It's been difficult for our churches though. Uh, sometimes I don't understand why it's so difficult for churches, um, but our churches really struggle with the concept of change. Our denominations struggle with change. Um, we struggle with critiquing, we struggle with criticism, and our main plan of attack is generally to shut them down. We don't like it because it can hurt. 
If there was ever an organisation, though, that should be able to cope with pain, with suffering, for a higher purpose, it is us as Christians, because Jesus actually requires that of us. In all criticism, valid or invalid, there's always some truths. And it's those truths that I would be lovely to, to lead to disappointment, because that disappointment is so important to leading to change, to driving change. I know someone that moved into the area I live and was um, just visiting some churches. Uh, new to the area, um, I guess the, the term might even be church shopping, but it was healthy church shopping, he was, he'd moved in. He made a comment that stuck with me, and he said, unfortunately there seems to be a lot of churches that are stuck in the 70s. Um, I think I've been to a few of those churches, and it might have been an exaggeration, maybe not the 70s, but maybe the 80s or 90s. But we're here now in 2020, and we've got a lot of churches that are stuck in the past. You may or may not know, um, Australia's in its seventh decade of decline in our local churches. We're approaching our 70th anniversary of decline. Uh, that just fundamentally bothers me. It just bothers me for a whole range of reasons, which we'll get to during this journey that I'm describing to you. But I just want to point that out, that our churches may be struggling with change, but we're also in decline. <clears throat> I was asked to come up with a point that drove home this message today. And it was actually, as I said, I've struggled with this sermon. But the phrase I came up with was, um, for God's sake, churches please change. That could be considered a little bit naughty, um, because when you've heard the word, for God's sake, it's generally involved, you know, not in a Christian setting. Uh, but I do love that concept of um, it is for God's sake that the call is to raise dissatisfaction in churches and for God's sake, please change. Kerry Newhoff has a quote that our churches uh, are more committed to our methods than our mission. That ties into this not changing. So what, if you let that sink in, what Kerry Newhoff's actually saying, and I've experienced it firsthand, we have people in our churches that are passionate about how they do church. They're passionate about how church is done. They're passionate that it's a, a Sunday church service. They're passionate about the type of music. They're passionate about what time the service starts. They're passionate about the methods of how they've done church. As opposed to being passionate about the mission that God has given us. And what, one of the biggest things you'll hear me say a lot today, that this, this, I've been bothered by this, which is why it's been so hard to create this sermon. But it actually fundamentally bothers me that we could be more pas pa uh, passionate about how we do church rather than why we do church. How we do it generally for ourselves satisfaction versus why we might be doing it to align with God's plan. Yeah, so for God's sake, I'm, I'm, I'm urging you, please change. Back to the journey of this sermon. 
I'm even nervous calling it a sermon. In the height of COVID, um, the Prime Minister of Australia was using a term called snapback. And um, there's all these measures coming in to help our society deal with this COVID crisis. But there was a desire that our society snap back as quickly as possible to what it was before the virus hit. Isn't it interesting now, many months later, it's not even a discussion point anymore. We're talking about COVID normal now, as opposed to pre-COVID. <clears throat> that led us in our discussions of, we didn't want our churches to snap back. And when I say we, you've got to realise this is senior church leaders. In fact, everyone I've spoken to, um, quite often in private settings, no one wants the church to snap back to what it was before the COVID disruption. Not one. It's really hard to say it publicly, but privately, not one person wants it to snap back. So we actually thought of a program to help churches through this journey. And we actually started calling it Operation Snapback. Then we realized that's actually not what we want to occur. And that led to a program called the New Church Paradigm. The sermon series today is the New Church Paradigm. We started by we gathered five questions and we interviewed a whole range of prominent church leaders both in Australia and overseas and we asked them these same five questions. Is the local church broken or in trouble was question number one. Why do we keep doing what we are doing was question number two. <clears throat> what is stopping the church from changing was question number three. And what could a new church paradigm look like was question number four. And I love the fifth and last question. If a church went through the process of asking these four questions, what would it look like? What would happen? I'm not going to go through. Today I had a version of this sermon where we picked up on lots of quotes from these prominent people talking about these five questions. There's one I'm going to give you right now, and that was Roger Sutton, pastor in England. And he was asked about that question five, what would churches look like if they went through the process of asking these questions? He said, well, don't know, but I think they'd have a lot more fun. It just impacted me when I heard him say it. The ineffective church, which is my bother, my concern that so many of our churches are ineffective in delivering disciples, in making disciples, but we're actually not even having fun while doing it. Yeah. It's not about fun, because once again Jesus has called us to suffer with him for the cause, not to have fun. It just impacted me. <clears throat> we invited churches, church leaders, um, to journey with us on this process which is actually wrapping up in the, uh, with a 40-day fast, focused on churches asking these questions to start processing, wonder if there is a new church paradigm. Stage two of that program is this sermon series. Um, four weeks, four sermons, 20 devotions. Um, you can find these on newchurchparadigm.org and, and our Facebook page. <clears throat> the, the sermons, today I'm doing a time for a change, raising our dissatisfaction, Emma, looking out, will be doing looking outside ourselves, embracing mission. Tony will be looking at facing our fears and letting go. And Mark will wrap us up with new wine for a new year. We love that concept of an old wine skin. Is that the old church paradigm? And the new wine skin, is that the new church paradigm?
Back to my sermon request. I got given this task of preaching on raising dissatisfaction in our churches. And I can tell you now, I missed the meeting. That meeting you miss when they um, hand out tasks. I pushed back. It bothered me that I was a businessman preaching on this topic. It bothered me that a pastor wasn't doing it. It also bothered me because I'm so... Uh, this, this is a big passion of mine. That's what I got when I pushed back. Peter, you talk about this stuff more than anyone else. It was also a bit of a reality check for me, which I had to push into. Okay, why do I talk about this more? Why am I dissatisfied more? Uh, why do I feel to talk about it more? Why can't others talk about it? Am I the only one dissatisfied? I do want to set a setting of uh, my dissatisfaction though. And quite often we're dissatisfied and we express dissatisfaction about things we care about the most. If I've actually prayed, Lord, if this is not of you, please, please, just can I just have a whatever attitude to it? Because it's, it's bothering me, it's wrecking me. This is how I start my journal times, my devotional times. I start with, um, Lord, I love you with all my heart, mind and soul. I surrender all that I am and ever hope to be. I ask for the Holy Spirit to empower me and critique me, um, encourage me. Um, to do God's will. I thank Jesus that he's even considered to be yoked with me as we undertake work together. And then here's the reason for sharing it. And I say, Lord, I love you. I love your bride. I love my bride and I love my family. Can you please help me love and serve them and on the way, sanctify me along the way. That's how I start my devotions. Um, you've got my, my list. Number one is God. Number two is the Bride of Christ, the local church. So yeah, it's something I, I incredibly passionately care about, but um, which probably leads to, as I say, my dissatisfactions. Uh, I, I do get dissatisfied. I do get worried that our churches represent more, the buildings represent more Christian clubhouses than Christian community centres. We behave like Christian clubs versus serving the community. Uh, it bothers me what the community thinks about churches and how irrelevant we are. It's actually more than irrelevant. They oppose us. It bothers me that the church is opposed by society. How we've gone from being the centre of society over 70 years to being opposed by society. These bother me and it actually bothers me that we don't ask why this is happening and we don't change to try to counteract this slippery slope around. Yeah, I shared these dissatisfactions one day in a prayer meeting. Um, 9.30, we kicked the week off with a prayer meeting, and I can't remember if it was a preamble or postamble, but I said, guys, the more I'm reading the New Testament, the more I'm struggling to see how it aligns with the, um, how we do church. And it was a throwaway comment, but it was obviously genuinely a deep concern of mine. And I was two others, two other colleagues picked up and said, yeah, same, same. And the discussion went from there. Then I think I was most impacted by um, another work colleague that said, well, my 12-year-old daughter asked me on the weekend as she's been reading the New Testament, maybe for the first time, why is church different to what I'm reading in the Bible? Yeah. I just want to reiterate, I, I do love that story of the 12-year-old because God does call us to be childlike at times. 
and I think processing this dissatisfaction might even help through the eyes of a child. I started using a phrase, um, wonder what Jesus would do if he walked into some of our churches. And the one I like the most, well, wonder what would happen if Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a modern day church. I just, I, I have um, little moments all the time. You'd be amazed how little I know about the Bible. But I recently, in preparing for another devotion, realized that the New Testament was four Gospels. The Acts of the Apostles was the fifth book of the New Testament. There's a book revelation at the end about the future. And then a whole heap of letters. A whole heap of letters to churches, guiding them, encouraging them, and critiquing them, correcting them. We should be good at this. Yeah. I had to go to Adelaide just after COVID or when COVID, when the borders opened to visit a sick father. Uh, and we drove. I had to pick up the home office in the back of the car. And my wife and I drove the 15 hours one way and another 15 hours back, which doesn't bother us too much. We put an audio book on. Uh, the audio book we put on this time was Francis Chan's Crazy Love. This journey I'm telling you about, it's about to get more intense. I did not even know what crazy love was about. I actually thought it was about love. Well, it turned out it's, it's an awful lot aligned to what I've just been talking about. And it also turns out that Francis Chan's got another book called Letters to the Church. So all this time when I was saying, imagine what would happen if Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church. Well, Francis Chan's got a book on it. I called a pastor mate. And I said, I've just been listening to this stuff. I've, I've listened to the audio book. I've now read the book. I've highlighted passages. I said, it's just bothering me. And, and Francis Chan says, don't take my word for it. Go to the scriptures and see what it says. And I said to my pastor, mate, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not finding any... Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to, to combat some of the concepts that I'm about to share with you. Churches have become focused on Sunday worship services. And these aren't necessarily quotes from Francis Chan's book. This is a blend of my mindset, Francis's book, and, and other influences. We're creating 90-minute Christian consumers in those churches. We measure churches through attendance buildings and cash, and not disciples. This one bothers me the most. There might be a gap between the Bible and our methods of doing Western church. It just really bothered me. Um, are we delivering God's commands or our religious performances? The concept of a non-fruit-bearing Christian, Francis called it an oxymoron. There's no evidence in the Bible of non-fruit-bearing Christian consumers going to heaven. In Revelation 3, there's stories of them being spat out the stories of non-fruit-producing vines being thrown into the fire. I get the Bible is complex and they're just two areas. But it, this actually bothered me to the point where I actually said to my mate on the phone, so we've got people in pews that might be going to hell. Is that right? I then actually said, I, I'm starting to worry, as Francis said, churches may actually be a perilous place for you to find salvation. I don't know if these phrases are right or wrong. They have just thoroughly bothered me. And I'll tell you now, when I wrap this up, I'm going to be telling you I've got more questions at the end of preparing this sermon, this sermon journey, I'm calling it, than I have.
And I think that might be healthy. I'd actually tell you now, there's no big conclusion at the end that says this is what the new church paradigm is. I'm actually just sharing with you the burdens of the questions that I'm asking myself. What blew my mind as a result of this conversation was my um, pastor mate said, and I largely agree. So Francis Chen had blown my mind and now my pastor mate had blown my mind. I said, what do you mean you agree? I've never heard you say that. I said, even if there's a little bit of truth in all of those concepts I've just shared, surely we've got to pull the alarm. Surely there's a button somewhere, denominational headquarters, break the glass, pull the alarm, we've got a problem. I said, even if it's remotely correct, which is where I started this sermon, sometimes I don't get it. I don't get why we do what we do. I don't get why we haven't had crisis meetings. Um, and New Church Paradigm, maybe the purpose of this sermon, the burden I've had of this sermon is to raise the alarm. People have their opinions about Francis Chan, but you know, it's Francis Chan. There's something deep inside of me that's happening. There's the senior Christian leaders that I am fortunate enough to chat to behind closed doors. And there's the, the eight videos that I urge you to go and look at on newchurchparadigm.org. There are concerns. There are warning signs. I think there are little alarms being rung. For God's sake, can we please change? Let me wrap it up. I urge you. I don't think there's much risk of this. Don't take it. There's no theological principles that I've given today that I've got confidence in. If there are any which I'm sharing with you on my journey, you'll check them in the scriptures. You'll check them to see if they're true. So whilst I have no confidence in those theological principles, what I do have a confidence in is the things that are bothering me, the questions that are bothering me. I actually think some of those questions are worthy of crisis meetings and not for my sake. Yes, I, I want to find the answers to these. Yes, I want to understand, is the local church that we currently worship in, has it drifted theologically away from biblical concepts? I think we all need to do that. Yeah. I think there's very little doubt our churches need to change. Hence the phrase, for God's sake, please change. God, the bride of Christ is going to be okay. The bride of Christ, God's going to deliver his plan with or without our brick and mortar churches. I'd hate the concept. As humans, I know what I do when I've got a problem. I either try to solve the problem directly. And if I can't, I develop a workaround. I don't want to do workarounds. I want the brick and mortar churches. I want the churches, the bride of Christ, to transform our communities. And so here's some questions. Have we become 90-minute Christians that are consuming? I have a fear, actually, on our way to 45-minute Christians where we might attend fortnightly rather than weekly. Your life and your church, does it align with the red letters in the Bible? Jesus' words. Does it align to Jesus' commands? When I heard that, I got thoroughly bothered. I didn't know what Jesus' commands were. I know of the Great Commission and things like that, but I want to know more. Over, over this coming up period, I want to look more into the commands of Jesus and where those commands to individuals or to groups. And I want to, is my life and is, is the church I'm involved in, does it align with those commands, with those biblical principles?
I urge you to question the status quo. It's healthy. It's not disrespectful. There are disrespectful ways of doing it. I urge you to do it in a healthy way. Because for God's sake, we need to. You'll be conscious. I'm wrapping this up now, and um, I was going to finish with, um, you know, uh, a bit of a, a bit of a goodbye. And um, there've been no Bible passages that I've given you. My pastor mate knows that I'm passionate about this. I actually said to him recently, I want to give a sermon where there's no Bible passages. We have received enough. We have consumed enough sermons. How many sermons do we need to consume? How many Bible passages? How many theological messages? Versus how much do we go out? And I've shared with them, I want to do a sermon where there's no Bible passages, but then I just say, look, just there is one book. It's called Acts, Acts of the Apostles. Influence in, actions out. Um, and I know that bothered my pa- pastor mate. So over the last couple of days, I've been getting a verse a day. And I actually said to him, how do you want me to, what do you want me to do with them? He said, I think they're a good way to wrap up your sermon. So here they are. Philippians 3.8. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may, that I may gain Christ. So for God's sake, for Jesus' sake, I have lost all things. Daniel nine seventeen. Now, our God, Hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. And I'm going to finish with that. For God's sake, Lord, please look with favour on our desolate sanctuaries. Please know it's been a burden giving this sermon. Uh, it's felt correct as a burden. And I just urge you all, uh, for God's sake, please change. Amen.